was at a domestic violence shelter before, uh, but because my abuser was in jail, I was only allowed to stay there for like 28 days. After coming here, I, I really felt comfortable. I felt like there was actually people that are trying to help one another rather than just like giving shelter to people. Hi, I'm Jack Crowley, president of Water Street Mission. Welcome to the Restorers podcast. Recently, we've been talking and listening to some of our guests about their experience on the street uh, when they were homeless and some of the challenges they faced and an experience they had. Um, but today we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about what it's like to first come into shelter, some of the challenges, uh, what that experience is really like when you first step through the doors at Water Street Mission. I want to give a special thank you to our season two sponsors. MHEB Incorporated, Amish Gazebos, Espen Shade Farms, and Espen Shade Mills. To learn more about our sponsors, visit wsm.org backslash podcast. Well, I am really excited for our conversation today. Uh, with me is Lily Adi. She's our Director of Residential Ministries. She oversees all of our life coaches and uh, helps run our residential programs. So, Lily, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. And uh, I'm excited for this conversation. As we listen to our guests, we're going to hear some of their stories and their experience of what it's like to first come into shelter, coming out of whatever their experience was, but needing to, the help of Water Street, needing the help of a shelter. What's it like to step through those doors and experience that for the first time? And then I'd love to hear some of your feedback on what our guests really experience here at Water Street. Absolutely. The only expectation I had was a place for myself and my son that was a little bit long term because going from place to place every month, that wasn't working out. You know, we needed somewhere stable where we could be for a little bit. And this place ended up being it. I was grateful to be here. I'd been to other shelters before and I've been to a code blue shelter where they allow just anybody on the street. And that's not a place for myself or my son. And there's some sketchy things that happen in code blue shelters and it just wasn't a place for me. So I left there. Um, and I was at a domestic violence shelter before, uh, but because my abuser was in jail, I was only allowed to stay there for like 28 days. After coming here, I, I really felt comfortable. I felt like there was actually people that are trying to help one another rather than just like giving shelter to people. And She mentioned that bouncing from place to place mm -hmm. and that inconsistency. How does that affect some of our guests, uh, especially when they first arrive, having experienced that where there was inconsistency and uncertainty of how long they could stay somewhere? Yeah, I think we see that very often. Most of our guests who are new to shelter, new to experiencing homelessness, new to even Water Street itself, um, I think we see a lot of guests come in with barriers to trust. So folks mm. have been in such unstable situations, as you just heard from the clip. They've experienced very short timelines. They've experienced situations where there are people that they can't trust, especially if it's, you know, a parent coming in with children or a child. There's an added layer of anxiety over caring for these little ones who are with you. So we often see our guests come in who they don't, they don't trust us right away, understandably and probably right, rightfully right. so. They have no reason <laughs> to trust us. They don't they don't know us. Um, and many folks have had very painful experiences in the past. So I think we see it takes time. It just takes time for folks to kind of take a breath, mm. settle in, understand that we're here for them and with them. Mm -hmm. um, but probably the, the biggest element is it just takes yeah. a while for folks to settle. How do we help them kind of slow down? Because often that 
it's that survival mentality of like, where am I going to stay tonight? Like your mind is racing. It's constantly moving. How do we help them slow down when they arrive at water street? Yeah. We tend to see the first chunk of their time with us the first week or couple weeks is just helping them feel safe. So we Mm. focus all of our staff effort, all of our, you know, everything that we've structured water street around is just to help folks feel safe. Mm -hmm. So we work on helping them understand what this is your new environment. So whether whichever building you're in, we try to be really careful that we explain this is the space this is the environment these are the expectations this is the routine right. and we do that repeatedly so we're not jumping right into goals of no like, this is what you need to accomplish no okay we just yeah. focus on safety and stability awesome awesome yeah. and she mentioned you know having her her child with her yeah. and and the tension she felt going to shelter with that how here at water street maybe to help our listeners understand at water street how do we handle that when mothers arrive with children so we have just a special family emergency shelter where mom is always staying with kids in a separate kind of dorm like residence separate from all of our single yes uh, guests yeah. who are coming in separate from our adult single yeah. shelter i think it's important for people to understand that that we do have two different shelter spaces right. one for single men and women and one for and even that's separated out so men and women are together right right. yeah make sure that there's a safe a sense of safety for all of our guests let's listen to another one untrust nobody uh like the only way you can get me around other people is if you pay me for a living to do it um especially talk to them i mean i barely have like a real relationship with my own family like why am i gonna try to like get close to people I don't like I just met like what honestly I was I I think most of my time here was just trying to 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 wrap my brain around the fact that I was safe with every like kind face that you meet here and decent human being you speak to start to realize it's like okay this is God's house. And once you understand that people need people, like even when you think that being out there is better, people need people to feel like people again. Wow. Wow. (laughs) People need people to feel like people People again. again. Oh my gosh. Mm. Yeah. So often it's people are the source of the trauma yeah. that, that we and our guests experience in life. And I mean, that, that's such a profound statement, the journey that, that we hear in her comments there. But, but as you think about that, mm-hmm. how hard it is to rebuild trust mm-hmm. for somebody who, you know, has experienced so much trauma at the hands of others. Um, and now we're strangers mm-hmm. and we're going to ask them to trust. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What does that mm-hmm. process look like? There's a lot of honesty involved on both parts. So often our guests will tell us, I don't trust you. I don't know you. And I think it's become just really commonplace for us as staff to look in someone's eyes and say, you don't have a reason to trust me. You don't know me. Mm. And I think putting it on the table and being really honest about, we understand it's going to take time. And we say, you don't have a reason to trust us, but we hope someday you do. I hope someday I've shown enough of God's love and grace towards you that you can begin to trust him in me, not Mm. me as a person. Mm. But you you said people People are often the sources of trauma. People are often God's chosen instruments of healing too. And we share that with our guests that we hope someday that they can become more trusting of God's love for them through the instruments of, Mm. of his hands, which are often people. Yeah. Yeah. 
is it easier when uh, a guest can admit from the door, I don't trust you? <laughs> yeah, I think it helps because then we know where everybody stands and there's no confusion and yeah. we don't have to play any kind of, you yeah. know, we don't have this dance of trying to understand each other. Right. We just kind of know all the cards are on the table. But our, our, our default assumption is that nobody trusts They're us and they have no us, reason yeah. to. And yeah. then it's our job to show ourselves trustworthy yeah. um, through the love and the grace of Christ. Yeah. I remember sitting with a, a young lady uh, one time in our, in our leadership program we were running and, um, and we were, we were doing some sharing and it was kind of a lighter kind of get to know you sharing. <laughs> and she like dropped a bomb on the table and mm. it was like, you know, what's one thing that everybody should know about you? And we, you know, everybody's like, Oh, I love this. I love that. Right. And she's like, you need to know that I don't trust any single one of you. Oh man. <laughs> and I probably never will. Mm-hmm. And we're like, this is one of our young leaders we're mm-hmm. investing in. But like how common that is mm-hmm. in the world let alone among those who are who have already had this breakdown of relationships to the point of becoming homeless. Yeah. Um, how about our staff? How, how do we deal with that? Because we've experienced right. trauma, we've experienced betrayal, we've experienced those things. How how do we help our staff navigate that, yeah. knowing they need to be trustworthy people for our guests? Yeah, I think since there is such a an emphasis about Water Street is a safe and healing environment for everyone who's here. So we focus obviously all of our, our attention and our, our energy on making sure that environment is very safe for our guests who are mm-hmm often the most vulnerable people that you can meet in your lifetime, but that extends to our staff too. So mm-hmm. I think from, from those who are in leadership, from those who are in manager or supervisor positions, there's a big responsibility to help our staff know that they are also safe yeah. in, in the appropriate places. So establishing one or two key relationships, mm-hmm. you know, for example, the folks who report to me, I want, I want them to know that when they step into my office, it is a safe space yeah. that whatever they're carrying, they can put down, we can work through it. Nothing they say is going to be judged or demeaned or mocked or repeated because I want them to understand they are also safe just as we hold that safe space for our guests. I think that's so important. And it's it's part of recognizing we're all on this journey together um, as we engage with our guests, as we connect with them and meet them in this vulnerable space. We need to create safe space for one another so we can create safe space for them. Kind of like our last guest said, like we need people need people in order to to feel like people. Absolutely. And let's listen to another one of our guests. Yeah, for me, it was just the simple fact that being that I was here a couple times and coming back, it was seeing familiar faces. So that was the comfort that I knew people on staff and things like that. So I didn't have to learn new people's names and all this other stuff. So I kind of said this time, I'm going to sit down, give it a try, and see how it works out. Because if not, I'll save up the money, get the place, and then I'm, a couple of months later, I'm back out on the street. So, I don't, this is a positive place to be in. And I think this is the journey I should have went down a long time ago. And now I have the stepping stones to to take those and I'm going to run with it. Uh, you could hear in her story that obviously she's been here more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not uncommon among our guests. Right. Why is it so important that 
uh, a guest who's returning after having been here and gone back out and, and is coming back to see familiar faces. How important is that to someone's journey? I think it's hugely important just knowing that there's a smiling face at the door, somebody you recognize, somebody that you might have a little bit of history with, somebody that you have a positive association with. Mm -hmm. That helps a lot when you're in a scary and unstable situation, feeling like at least there's one person. And we've heard that before. At least there's one person I can connect with or one person I can kind of maybe start to trust a little bit. That helps a lot. The, The danger in that is coming back to people you know who know that you may have made a bad choice mm-hmm. along the way mm-hmm. um, could lead to shame if they're not received the right way. Right. So how, how do we instill in our staff and, and what's the approach staff take when a guest is returning? Maybe they left against our advice. Right. <laughs> Maybe right. they left because, you know, they just, you know, the pressure got to them and, and they, they lashed out in some way and, yeah. and were unsafe and they had to, to leave for a while. Um, and then coming back, having not made it on their own, mm-hmm. how do, how do our staff receive them and how do we help our staff receive them well? I think a big part of that is our core value of grace as our model. Mm. So our staff are excellent at not bringing our own judgments and our own perceptions into situations. Honestly, we don't know. And at at the end of the day, we don't carry judgment or bias over a decision someone made when they left Water Street. We're just grateful that they're safe. And we often tell them we're grateful you're safe. We're grateful you felt safe enough to come back. Um, You know, we kind of, when folks are leaving, we often say, we hope you never need us again, but if you do, you know, we'll be here (laughs) and you'll have a warm welcome at the door. And I think that, I think our guests really internalize that and believe us when we say that. I mean, I know I've heard from multiple guests, like I was hesitant to come back because I was ashamed of what what happened while I was out here, of the choices I made, of whatever, um, that I didn't make it. And but when I came in the door, I felt so loved and accepted, yeah. Yeah. and not judged. Right, right. I think that yeah, we hear that often, and I hope our guests understand that they're they are not just guests to us; they are family, they're brothers and yeah. sisters, and so we're glad to see them. Yeah, and I think as as our guest commented in that clip. I think I'm going to give it a try this time. Like how receiving someone that way can just open the door and, and give that chance for, for renewed hope. So we have another guest that we're going to hear from here. I can't tell you how many times I've called shelters or domestic violence shelters and they would tell me that they're full. And I'm like, okay, so I just try and stay alive until you have an open spot. Like, how does this work? I was a whole mess. Yeah. I, I cried. I, yeah, I cried a lot. I was relieved to be out of the situation that I was in and, and, and what I had gone through before I got here was like unreal. But um, so I was kind of relieved to be here. But at the same time, because there were men here, I was kind of standoffish at first. But then I realized, you know, everybody's not out to hurt me. My, my life before this was so fake. But, you know, like, um, you know, we lived in the townhouse and, you know, drove the $80,000 truck and everything from the outside looked okay. So going from that to this was very extreme. But um, the staff was great with, with you know, comforting me and, and giving me time. But um, thank God I didn't have to wait. Um, they were able to get me in right away. There was no waiting list. But um, yeah, I, I, was, I was a mess. I just needed somewhere to sleep. But this place is so much more than somewhere to sleep. It's funny because I run around sometimes with my badge on and people are like, take it off, take it off. But I'm really not embarrassed about being here. And obviously, uh, you know, this guest experienced a lot of trauma before she arrived. Um, and we know that's not uncommon among our guests. And, um, 
you know, how, how do we prepare to deal with those kind of traumas? But also, I mean, we know experiencing homelessness itself right. is trauma and that insecurity, consistent insecurity uh, is a sense of trauma itself. How do we prepare uh to welcome people who've, who are carrying that. Yeah. I think a lot of it is sensitivity and training on our part. So helping our folks, our, our, our staff understand what folks may be walking in, having experienced mm-hmm. and helping um, each of our staff members not overlay or project their own experiences onto someone, but to be really open and to listen, just as you heard this guest story, to really listen and to be open to that. And then to know the right connections to help people get to the folks who are professionals who can help them walk through that. One of the other things she mentioned in, in the clip is kind of what life was like before yeah. uh, and how on the outside it looked great. You know, we were in the townhouse and we've got an $80,000 truck. Um, one, for our listeners, that may, what do you mean? And you ended up, and obviously she experienced a lot of trauma and, and the domestic violence situation obviously was a contributor to that. But many of our guests aren't coming from generational poverty. We do have, we do see that, but then we have others who have come from what looks like a stable, economically stable lifestyle. Is it harder for those guests to make that adjustment to where like, oh my gosh, I need to go to Water Street. I need to go to a shelter. I don't have the resources. Do we see a difference in how those individuals adjust to Water Street? Yeah, I think some folks coming from a, you know, kind of a more traditional or more stable background, however you define that, might might be more of a challenge because there's humility involved and there's vulnerability involved in saying I have nothing and I need help. Um, some of our guests who come in having experienced, you know, unfortunately this is not their first time experiencing yeah. homelessness or yeah. the system itself. Um, there tends to be just more openness to saying I need help. Mm. So that, yeah, I think there is a difference and it does take yeah. some guests a little bit longer to be vulnerable and to ask for help. Yeah. And I think, you know, our culture and specifically our culture in Lancaster County about like, I can make it on my right. own. It's right. so instilled in us. And, um, and so that ability to, to ask for help, to put yourself in a position where you're like, yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm so impressed by her, how she's kind of embraced the season and seen the value of being at Water Street and even her comment about like, not worrying about wearing her badge around town and knowing that people might recognize that she's at Water Street. Yeah. Um, do you see that sometimes among our, this is kind of off topic yeah. a little bit with our guests, like some of them, as soon as they walk off campus, it's like the badge comes off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, and I understand. I mean, there's yeah. sometimes, unfortunately, there can be a stigma associated with experiencing homelessness or having to stay in a shelter. So it's not surprising to us. It's not insulting. Yeah. I think we just accept that that's a part of somebody's journey. But it's cool when you hear other guests saying just what she did, that it, it doesn't yeah. embarrass her yeah. because she's proud of how far she's come. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. We have one more clip we're going to listen to. People don't want to come to shelters because there are rules. One of the things that I had to struggle through was the schedule. On the street, one almost doesn't sleep. You go where you want and you do what you want. But here, there's a curfew. In coming here, I felt out of place. It was a new experience for me. It was something new. I was trying something new out, something that had never happened, and I had to adapt. And it was lots of work and a lot of problems. But thanks to God, I adapted. 
how often do you hear stories like that about the challenge of adjusting to rules? And That's a very common experience. <laughs> a lot of our guests who have experienced very unstructured environments come mm-hmm. here and are overwhelmed with what they feel like is the number of rules, the number of do yeah. this, don't do this, be here by then. That can be really overwhelming yeah. for somebody who hasn't been in a structured environment. And ironically, from our perspective, like we've tried to minimize the rules because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. we know how hard it is, especially at that first phase of stabilization and then in shelter there aren't a ton of them but when you've been living completely unstructured when you've been living in in that environment where it's like okay i I make up the rules for the day Mm -hmm. suddenly to be told this is when breakfast is Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. when lunch is and this is when you need to meet with your case Mm -hmm. manager that's Mm -hmm. huge yeah, it's a big adjustment for people. And we try to have a lot of grace. We try to understand that this is going to be very disorienting for somebody to be in such a highly structured environment. We try to provide a lot of information. We try to over-communicate yeah. what we mean. We try to be very careful about expecting um, when we expect folks to make it to a certain building by a certain time. We right. explain what that means and why we're doing that. And we make sure we walk them down and, and show them and explain. So yeah. instead of just being a list of do's and don'ts, there's real context for why we're asking that. Right. That's great. So why can't we just get rid of all the rules and let them <laughs> eat whenever they want and sleep whenever the they want? The guests ask that every day. And <laughs> we're trying to provide a safe and healing environment. And part of that means that there needs to be expectations that help people stay safe. Mm. And even though the rules can feel obnoxious sometimes, at the end of the day, they actually are very trauma informed because they help everybody on our campus, guests yeah. and staff and volunteers yeah. understand why we do what we do and how to keep each other safe. Yeah. I, um, so my history, I worked with youth for a lot of years before I came into the roles that I'm in now. And that was one of the things that, that just was so clear to us that actually the establishment of rules and stability and consistency was so helpful and healing, uh, for them in their growth. Mm -hmm. And it, if, feels counterintuitive to the person it's happening to in the moment. Right. Those of us who are parents know <laughs> our kids rub up about how important those boundaries are and, and the guidelines. And actually there's safety and comfort mm-hmm. ultimately in those things mm-hmm. to know that you've got that consistency. And we do hear that because after guests are here for a while yeah. and they get the hang of our schedule, when there's a schedule disruption, we often hear people <laughs> saying, oh, that threw me off. That messed yeah. me up. I can't, I can't remember where I'm supposed to be or why, or is really disorienting for them yeah. when the structure is removed. So part of that journey is us helping them understand why the structure is there and then helping them become a part of it. Yeah. So I don't want rules, but don't be too flexible. Exactly. Right. It's not complicated. (laughs) But it's a challenge. And and that's why we walk with grace, right? Right. Right. (laughs) All the time. Man, I was blessed by uh, the the feedback from our guests and and some of your insights, Lily. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening in.